You're listening to the Live Well Radio Podcast Show. A wealth of information for a life of inspiration. And here's your host, Brett Coleman. I'm so glad you guys are with us today for Mindset Monday. Today's episode is going to be up there with the best of them. Uh, We're diving deep into the depths of the power of choice. And my guest today is Rita Hudgens, an author, keynote speaker, internationally certified coach, member of the International Coaching Federation, and also a candidate member of the National Speakers Association. Rita is also the founder of Transform University, a very well-known life and personal development coach. Rita, it's an honor to have you on the Live Well radio show today. How accurate is this statement to you? We're not a product of our circumstances, but rather a product of our decisions. How does that resonate with you? Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Brad. I'm just so um, grateful that you've asked me. And that statement is 100% true because our circumstances are always going to be changing. Life is always in flux. But one thing that cannot be taken away from us is our power of choice. It is the power to make decisions. Agreed. 110%. I agree with that. If there was a college curriculum that offered a master's degree program in mindset management, would you have signed up for it? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I would have started, and this is what I help my workshops. I would start this in kindergarten as a curriculum. Yes, yes. And because it's so unfortunate that you look at schools and schools, you have your training you have your teaching, and then you have the test. And the same thing with jobs. You have job training, then you're tested on your skills. But in life, it doesn't work like that. In life, we have the test, and then hopefully we've learned the lesson. But that's not always the case. No, real life is, is set up differently than what we're taught in school, the books, the curriculums that are available today. And that's why I'm so impressed with what you're doing uh, with your university. Uh, Let's talk about real quickly here. You're an amazing woman with an incredible success story. And and I see that on your website. It's built on the foundation of persistence. Yes, absolutely. Um, Basically, everyone has, Brett, everyone has an incredible story. Everyone has a story to tell. But when you look at stories, what would stories be? If you go to a movie, what would the movie be if there were no conflict? And so, you know, my life has been like everyone else's. It has been filled with a lot of conflicts, with a lot of trials, with a lot of obstacles. And learning how to overcome those and how to persevere is that's who wins. That's who wins in life is, are the people who keep on going. They figure it out and they just don't quit. We may get knocked down. We may stay there for a while. We may live in the valleys longer than what we should before we start climbing up to the mountaintops. But, you know, the people who are successful are those who just, you know, they have grit and they gut it out. Let me ask you this. Let's talk about mommy. I mean, obviously, you learned that at a very early age. Mom was an orphan, yes? Mm-hmm, absolutely, yes. She was um, born here in, well, we're in Arizona. 
She was born in Florence, Arizona, and her and her two twin sisters were orphaned by the time my mom was, she didn't complete sixth grade education, so she was either 10 or 11. And just the stories that my mom would tell me, living in a desert where there's rattlesnakes, where there's coyotes, where there's wild animals, and they would have to live in abandoned homes sometimes just to have some sort of a covering. So I'm very, very fortunate that my mom instilled so much in me, just sometimes even by watching her and watching her life. And she overcame incredible circumstances and poverty to be able to be, you know, successful and to, and to make it. And dad stormed the beaches of Normandy, another fighter. On day two. So there's D-Day and then there's, from what I understand, it's D-Day plus one. And so he was on the second day and his stories are just the atrocities and the things that he saw and just even what he told me how they didn't know who was actually going to go first, the fleet, what fleet was going first. He said sometimes, you know, the boat that he was on, they would, you know, lead and then they would retract, they'd move back and then others would go. And he didn't get the call on, you know, on that first day. He got his on the second. So growing up in a house, Rita, with two, I mean, two, two people that had to be strong in their own sense, in their own right, they had to share some insight and some of those experiences with you that I'd have to say shaped your future, yeah? Yes, absolutely. But it didn't come easy for me, Brett. It was very difficult for me because I was a child, as I grew up as a child that was filled with fear. And I, um, I used to have anxiety attacks as it, starting in kindergarten. Um, and I really would always look at my mom and dad and I would just say, you know, I want to be like them. I don't want to have, you know, these fears. And I couldn't go and spend nights at um, friend's house because I would just be filled with panic and I would have to leave. I was in counseling in kindergarten because I had school anxiety. So I, in my mind, and it took me a long time to figure it out that I just thought some people were strong and some people weren't. And I just, with the luck of the draw or unluck, I was one of those unlucky ones that had to deal with fear my whole life. So it took the circumstances that I went through later on as an adult to teach me how to be able to face those fears, how to conquer them, how to get to be what I call a warrior. And let me ask you this. So fear, you've, you've heard the term false evidence appearing real. Yeah. The, some of the fears you had as a young girl were coming from where? What were you afraid of? What, what, what was it the anxiety due to? You know, I believe looking back, I believe that the anxiety, I, I look at things in three different arenas because I look at a life, I look at our lives as holistic and there's the physical, there's the spiritual, there's the emotional. And as a child, I don't, I haven't really figured it out what happened to me, whether it was like a biochemical um, 
incident that occurred in, you know, say the neurotransmitters of my brain back then. And, you know, this gives away my age. Thanks, Brett. (laughs) But back (laughs) then (laughs) there was, I do remember during the Cuba missile crisis with President Kennedy, I remember us in school having to go to the back of the classroom and there were chalkboards, but they were doors. And so you could raise the doors and we had to go and all sneak in, hide behind the doors, and then the teacher would close the doors and we had to cover our heads. You know, so I actually don't remember, because that was so long ago, if that was the initial trigger or just hearing all of it on the news, that it just it just instilled this seed of fear that grew and grew and grew and really didn't leave. It left um, during my high school years. And then it came back again as an adult, just the panic anxiety disorder. So my situation, uh, I've, nick- I've gave my mother a nickname, Queen Fear a Lot, and dad was a king of perfectionism. Uh, and that's the truth. So I feel a lot of times it's a learned behavior because as a young, a vulnerable child, in a household with a fearful parent and a perfectionist father, you're, you're learning a lot and you don't even realize what you're learning. So I'm taking it back to you. Did, did you learn any of this from mom and dad? I honestly don't think so. I really do not think so because I remember the day that I was taken to school and I just freaked out and I started screaming. Mm-hmm. It, there, was, there were no triggers because I even think the Cuba Missile Crisis was asked that, um, you know, that exercise we had to do in school. I think that came afterwards, but I don't remember. But there could have been something I saw on TV and, you know, it was scary, something on the news about what was going on in the world. And my fear was that I wouldn't see my mom again. So my fear was a fear of loss. But then what happens is once, and we know this now from, neuroscience from psychology is once you're under stress for prolonged periods of time, and for a little girl, that was probably my stress, then your neurotransmitters do get off. They get off kilter. They get off balance. And so it just took a while for everything to get back. Okay. And let me ask you this. Was there a point where your consciousness was elevated? Your mindset was a little more aware of what was going on? You said, I have to make a better decision to get better results. As a child, no. As a child, it just kind of dissipated. As an adult, I did. As an adult, it came numerous times, but a couple of times just very, very strongly. And one was, um, as you know, I um, basically, I was in the ICU fighting for my breath. They had to use resuscitative measures to save my life. They had to intubate me and put a tube down my mouth so that they could um, blow air in to save my life. And after that, there was tremendous fear. There was absolutely like fear on steroids. And it took me a while to be able to go through that and to process it. But I lived probably for two years with just the same panic that I experienced as a kindergartner, but I didn't, you know, I, I, I just thought, how do I, how do I fix this? Mm -hmm. And what was it that got you in the ICU? You know, 
19 years ago, I had my fourth and last baby. And I know people look at me and you're a dad. I am. <laughs> and people look at put people look at me like I'm crazy and say, You have four kids? Like what's the matter with you? <laughs> are you Amish? Are you Mormon? Or just are you insane? But no, I have four kids. Absolutely love being a mom, having those four kids. But after my last child, unbeknownst to anyone in our family, I had a undiagnosed fungus infection on my lungs. And I had had problems with my lung. I had had valley fever. So I had had problems with my lungs before, but nothing like this. And I am a very, very active person. I used to get up in the morning at like five in the morning. And this was before now we have all everybody telling us, get up at five. It's a golden hour. You get so much done. I would get up at five. I would go run five, six miles come home. I, I homeschooled my kids. And so come home, get breakfast ready, get the curriculum set for the day. And we also had a home business at that time. So just making sure everything was ready to go, had so much energy. So I went from that to basically a good day for me was to be able to walk around the block. I would I would have to, with my baby, um, and he was two when at the peak of this, I would just to carry him from one room to the other, I had two different inhalers. I had my regular inhaler, I had a rescue inhaler, and uh, just to get from room to room, I had to use those inhalers. So it was, it was tough. It was a tough time, and back, it was in um, August, actually, August 30th of two. 2001, when I realized, you know what, this isn't good because my breath, instead of my lungs just being constricted, my breath was stopping at my throat and I, I couldn't, I could barely talk, barely. Wow. And, and, and the reason I'm doing this, I'm, I'm pulling from you because this podcast will be sent over to 5,000 people. And I know there's going to be people who have challenging situations who are looking for answers and something you say today is going to resonate with some people to help them elevate their mindsets, to increase their self-awareness so they can start making better choices to ultimately get better results. So if this wasn't enough, you're in your mid fifties, single mom, still homeschooling one child, taking care of your mother who now has dementia. How did you do that? That was tough. Um, I, sometimes I look at that, but that was post-divorce. I had been married for 31 years. And so the post-divorce was um, just losing everything, losing the house, I mean, losing everything. I still had Rock at home with me and um, he, very humbling experience. We lost the house. I moved in with my mom who was a rock. <laughs> she was 97 at the time and showing no signs of dementia at all. This woman, she was still at 97. She would walk two miles a day, partly in the desert by her home in Scottsdale. And I would say, mom, you know, you can't go alone. This was, be you know, before I moved in with her, I said, mom, you can't go alone. What if something happens to you? She goes, I have your phone number written down on a piece of paper in my pocket. They'll contact you. And I go, but mom, what, 
what if you fall and hit your head? She goes, well, then maybe it'll be my time to go. I mean, I, I tell you, this is the strongest woman that I've ever met. And so she didn't have any signs of dementia until um, shortly after Rock and I moved in with her. And I'm still going at that time through a pretty, I mean, I was diagnosed as being clinically depressed. The um, not really dealing so much with the fear and anxiety, but just the depression and trying to figure out what am I going to do in my life? And I'm trying to make a career while a lot of my friends from high school are thinking about retiring. And I have one, you know, one child left. And then my mom started repeating things. And then she started um, I don't, I don't know that they're hallucinations, but she would just start thinking she was in other places. She would start crying and waiting for her sister. She goes, I need to run to the train. My sisters are waiting for me. And so that was, you know, that was a very, very challenging part of my life. What I would tell your listeners is that it really doesn't matter what you're facing. There's always light. There's always a way out. I am a person of faith and I use my faith. I, it would wane and then it would come back and it would wane again. Like, you know, I, I just feel deserted. I'm never going to get out of this situation. Plus I had a lot of physical um, the, the, the lung problem started coming back. I had insomnia. I had joint aches. I come to find out I had, um, besides Epstein-Barr, I also had Lyme disease. So I was bombarded by all aspects, physical, emotional. I was fighting spiritual to find my faith again. So I would tell your listeners, never, ever give up because it's always a way. You said that you're big on life design. I like to say, live life by design, not by default. It's so easy to do what we did today because we did it yesterday. Let's talk about this. You had to design not only a new life, obviously a new lifestyle, but what came first is awareness, then a design of the mind to make better choices, to get better results. So when did you start saying, okay, I, I need to become more? What was your process? I had great support in that I had some very, very strong, courageous friends. And of course, the support of my children. And my mom didn't, she knew that I was divorced. At first, I didn't want to tell her because I knew she would be absolutely devastated, but she did understand I was divorced. So I had the support of my mom when she, I mean, even by just her example, even if she didn't remember that I was divorced, just by her example get up every single day and get dressed when you're almost a hundred years old, <laughs> you know, and with a smile on her face. And so there's so many things that are tangible, Brett, but there are so many things that are intangible that we have to open our eyes to see. And that's what I would tell your audience is be aware of possibilities Look at what resources you have. Many people would look, and many people did say, gosh, why don't you just put your mom in a house? This is too much for you. 
And many people would look at being in those situations as a burden. And sometimes it, it was just so overwhelming for me. But I chose, when you talk about decisions, I chose to see everything I could learn from my mom for the battle that she was facing. It was not easy for her to, she did, she missed her 101st birthday. She died when she was 100 years old. But it was not easy for her to get up every morning when everyone has already left before her, her husband, nephews, nieces, sisters, and obviously parents. And so to, you know, but she, she clung on to her faith and she clung on to nephews and nieces that were still around that lived here. And she clung on to me and to my son, Rock. That's amazing. And you went from a limited opportunity mindset to an infinite possibility mindset. And I think when you stop putting limitations on yourself and have a sense of faith and belief that there is possibilities, no matter what the pace you're at, if you stay consistent with that, then you're going to obviously start to see results. And once you get a taste of those results and it's a better way to live, you really don't want to go back to the way you were living. No, you don't. And gratitude is a key it's a key component. Gratitude is very, very healing. It puts things into perspective. And I don't think that as a society, we're that grateful. You know, I I think there's a lot of um, entitlement. I'm not saying that your audience, the people you attract are, but when you look around, there's a lot of entitlement. And that mindset really is not going to elevate you. It's not going to take you through the dark nights of your soul, but, you know, the possibility of thinking, faith, gratitude, and, you know, like I said, support, the support of people. Um, I remember one friend of mine saying, Rita, and this was like before the divorce, when I was like, I, am I going to get divorced? Am I not going to get divorced? Going through home foreclosures, going through bankruptcies and having to deal with creditors I didn't want to get up in the morning. I didn't want to face all the phone calls. I didn't want to go on anymore. And I had one friend that said, Rita, you just have to put one foot in front of the other. And I could have said, yeah, she's not in my shoes. She doesn't know. But I just thought, okay, one foot. That's all I need is one foot. That's all I need is one foot. And then I had another friend who's a pastor in a different state and I called him one time when basically I honestly did not want to go on any longer. And I had um, been to two separate doctors and both of them gave me um, a sleeping pill. I had because I had insomnia and antidepressants and I had filled both of the prescriptions. And I thought, what if I just take these and go to sleep and I'll never, I'll never wake up. And I know there are people feel that because life hurts and life gets overwhelming. And I called my pastor friend and he said, you know, Rita, you can go ahead and do that. You know, you don't have to worry. God can forgive you. You don't have to worry about not making it to heaven, but you know what? You're not going to live out your God-given purpose in this world. And that immediately, it, it, changed my whole perspective in life. And he saved my life that day. <laughs> when you begin to change the way you look at things, the big things you look at begin to change 
Wayne Dyer said that best. So let me ask, let me ask you this. Your biggest self-defeating behavior today, is it still challenge? Is, is, is there one? Oh, yes. I think as long as we're alive, we're all going to have the demons that speak to us. Mine isn't so much behavior as mine are thoughts, uh, limiting beliefs. And I recognize them and I work with my clients with visualization exercises and, in, you know, uh, what I call a warrior internal dialogue, which are all great tools to be able to deal with those limiting beliefs. And it's basically what happens is that those voices get, you know, smaller and smaller and our faith voice gets stronger because we have to believe it ourselves. Otherwise, it's not going to matter. I, I see and I hear people who say, oh, I have all these positive affirmations, and I say this, and I say that, but they don't believe it. And so if you don't believe it, it's not going to help you. There's not going to be a feeling attached to that. Human beings are emotional creatures. If there's a feeling of fear, you're going to be fearful. If you're living with a fear-based mindset, you will feel fearful. Faith-based mindset, you walk with faith, have more strength and courage. I firmly believe that. What what are you doing today, right now, to help people who've been in your situation? They they're going to hear this, uh, relate to it in a way that they want some assistance, some guidance. They come to your website. What do you offer them immediately? I have a lot of blogs. If someone is looking for answers, if they're I always answers. If they feel like they are stuck at a place or they don't realize they're stuck, they're just unhappy or they're feeling unfulfilled. I have weekly blogs that I pull that I post um, on all of these subjects that people can just go, whether it's confidence, whether it's limiting beliefs, whether it's a growth mindset, uh, whether it's getting clear of the past. So for absolutely free, I have blogs that are posted on my website, as well as I have some resources on productivity and how to master your day. And then I offer coaching. I also do keynote speaking for companies, organizations, groups, and I do group facilitation. I'm very, very, very fortunate to be able to facilitate a group of adults with um, disability. And you talk about perspective and you talk about warriors. I learned so much from my adult group. So why transform university? What said, okay, I need to get out there after you, all you've been through and all you went through with the challenges, rather being strung out on drugs or become an alcoholic and suppress those feelings. You took those feelings, you recognize those feelings and said, I'm going to help somebody else's life become better because of my challenges, my situations I've been through. That's what transform university is all about. Yes. It is absolutely all about that because my my choice was this is my purpose in life. I can look at it like, oh, all these horrible things happened to me, or I could look at it as all these things happened for me, and they're not for me to keep to myself. Nothing in this world is for us to keep to ourselves that's been given to us. It's to impact somebody else. And as we mentioned at the very beginning, how with life, you don't, you get the test and then you get the learning. And I wanted to even the playing field. I wanted to be able to help prepare people to win in life, just like an athletic coach helps their team 
and individuals win games. I wanted to make a difference. And that was your why? That was my why. And, you know, it's so funny, Brett, because I've been doing this basically all my adult life, but I didn't know it. Obviously, I didn't have the life coaching training, but I was cleaning out um, some boxes last week, and I looked at old curriculum sheets that I saved way back from when my kids were young, and it was the same thing. This week, character traits courage this week character trait responsibility and i just had to laugh because i was doing this with my kids years ago i guess they were my guinea pigs see it all came full circle you know here's what i firmly believe Uh, when you know your what's and your why's your how's and when's begin to show up and you knew what you wanted you knew why you wanted you may have not known how it was going to happen or when it was going to happen but it happens when you become uh, confident with why you want what you want life does give you your house and begins to create a master plan or blueprint for the next step. Oh, absolutely. It does. You know, knowing your why, that's why for me, I get so excited when I can help people discover their purpose. And we have many purposes in life. And so many people think that their job is their purpose. And, you know, it's not what we do, it's who we are. And it's, who we become through the things that we've learned in life. So that's the thing that really excites me is when I see people living out their purpose, because that is, you're exactly right. It's, it's your why. And you don't have to necessarily worry. We do worry about how, how am I going to do this? How will take care of itself? But, you know, a little, a little caveat there. We do have to move. We have take to take action. On. Yes, because none of this is going to happen by magic. Absolutely nothing. Some people may be um, very successful because they've inherited, you know, um, something. But for the most part, there's no magic. It's hard work. It's what are your skills? That's what I help people do is I help people discover what their talents are and what their skills are, what their strengths are. And once you learn those, then you just work on them. And then you work on the grit. You work on the discipline to keep on going. And it's an internal resolve. And that makes you unstoppable. It does. I believe it's a macro, the macro mindsets, your, your vision, what, what's your big vision and the micro mindsets, the disciplinary steps that are going to get you there. So macro, big, micro, small, big vision, small steps and consistent steps to get better results. I'm going to share a couple of testimonials. People have come to you now to your university, transform university, and they want some results. Do you have a couple of stories that really resonate and tug at your heart? I have quite a few stories. I have I have one um, young girl who didn't actually, there was a lot of fear based in her life and she didn't know how she was going to overcome the fear. And I have to be careful because I'm not a counselor. I'm a life coach and I, I'm a pretty good judge in my initial consultation is, is this for me or do I refer this out to a counselor? But I said, let's try this. And she has overcome her fears. She got her dream job in another state, and she started a nonprofit for herself. Another case that comes to mind was a young man who was contemplating divorce, didn't know which way to go, and he discovered his 
values, found out how to get needs met, and was able to restore the marriage. That one really makes me smile. (laughs) That one was pretty incredible. And what do you think their common thread was? They had two different situations. What would be the thing they had in common? A common thread between those two, number one, they both really wanted it. They wanted answers. That in anything. Was their why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wanted answers. It's not like they were coming to me and, oh, let's see how this goes. They had a strong resolve. And they got the results they were looking for. Do you st- it must be kind of neat. Do you have reunions? Do you keep in touch and contact with the people that go through your program and, and hear back from them? I do because a lot of them just stay, well, everyone stays in touch. I can only think of one person through these years that I really haven't stayed in touch with, but she only came two times and just, she, she wouldn't do any of this. She wasn't coachable. She wouldn't do any of the assessments or the field work or the homework. And so coaching just wasn't for her. But with all the other people that I stayed in contact with, you know, some people will still, I'll, I'll get a text from them. Hey, can, you know, can we do a phone consult next week? So they still, if something comes up, maybe it's going to be a job promotion or maybe it's a decision that's a pretty big one they need to make. They'll, they'll contact me and we'll do a session. Just, I, I don't like to say the word maintenance, but check in. Sure. Let me ask you this. What percentage of the people you think that come through the program, meet with you, do the work, then become a life coach themselves like you did? You know, there have been, I haven't, I have not had anyone who's come through the program to life coach. I have had people contact me to find out what I did because they want to do that. There, there were three people that I referred to, um, three different life coaching schools that I recommend. And so that's, you know, and I didn't follow up with them, but um, that's, you know, the route they wanted to take by going to the website and, and figuring things out. By the way, that website is very, very, very impressive. The free stuff you're giving away on that website is, is amazing. Tell people what the website is, how they can find you. Yes, they can find me at transformuniversity.net. And it's very, very easy. I'm, I'm fortunate that um, Ryan Parker and um, my uh, digital marketer, Justin, they do a great job in preparing me for, okay, Rita, this is what you need to write. This is what it needs to look like. And so, you know, I, some, my kids think I'm such a boring person, I'm sure, because I work all the time. I'm constantly writing content, but I'm energized by it. And when people see me on a Monday, say at the gym, and they go, what'd you do this weekend? And it's like, I worked and I'm smiling and they think I'm crazy, but I've just, I'm always writing content. I'm researching and I'm writing content and posting it up on the website. And I did, I wanted to offer a lot of free resources on there. And so that's, you know, I have a life clarity assessment. I have a deep dive activity workshop on mastering your day. And then I have a great list of books. And the books are um, my oldest son. He, uh, he puts me to shame. He reads, uh, he has a goal. He reads a hundred books a year. Come on. Now, they're, no, they're audible, but still, still. also... 
he's also getting his PhD uh, in the IT field. And so he's, and he's a dad and he's a very busy guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky he got me a book for Christmas, uh, no, excuse me, for Mother's Day, which was a few weeks ago. And maybe halfway through it. So I can't keep up with him, but he was very, very um, generous and he contributed a lot on my website to the book resource because I'm not going to put anything on my site that I either myself or one of my kids have not, um, have not read. And I'm really on what I, on what and who I endorse. Beautiful, Rita. Well, listen, before we before I let you go, I want you to give somebody three golden nuggets they, they can do today, get started today, to help them take small steps. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. Yard by yard, it can be kind of hard. So inch by inch, step by step, what three things can they take away from this interview today to help them begin to apply uh, something to get better results in their own personal life? Yeah, two quotes come to mind. One is by Anthony Robbins, and that's success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. So you think about clues, then you're taking those steps. You look back and you see the clues. And the other, my absolute favorite is Winston Churchill um, is never give up. And that was one of his famous speeches. And then he sat down. (laughs) Three words. (laughs) (laughs) That's all he's. And so basically is I tell people when they feel either they're stuck or maybe they're afraid and they want to do something is look to see somebody who's doing what you want to do and follow it. I remember when I I was, you know, just newly divorced, not knowing what I was going to do. I got certified as a Pilates instructor and I I did that, but I was really deep down inside. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do life coaching, but my limiting belief was you're too old. This is going to be too hard for you. And um, I read the story of a woman who um, became a doctor at 55. I think she went into, you know, school, medical school at 50. Um, and it was like, I don't even remember her name. I just remember someone mentioning it to me and I Googled her and I found her story and I thought, you know what? She can do it. I can do it. So I would tell your audience, look for someone who's doing what you want to do and then just take the first step. Even sometimes if you have to put a timer on yourself, Put a timer on yourself for 25 minutes to do something very proactive and then take a little break because you want to build up momentum. Momentum is your best friend. It really is. And by the way, momentum, you know, we're, we're, a lot of people, complacency, complacency is momentum. If you're very good at not taking steps, that's going to kick, kick, that's going to kick out a result as well. Deciding not to choose is still a choice. Making a decision not to make a decision is still a choice, a decision. So it really is. And that's going to, you're right. And it's going to, you're going to get a result because of that. So I love what you're saying. Just take different steps, take small steps, just make sure you do something different tomorrow than you did today. And you'll start to see some very nice results show up in your lifetime. Right. And what I tell people, too, is to choose either a theme or to choose an energy that they want in life. Choose something and then go with that. Someone may choose a theme of courage and then you look around and magically things will come up to remind you of courage. 
So it's just choose. And then same thing with your energy. You know, you can choose an energy. As you mentioned, you can, you can choose something that's very negative. You can choose a um, complaining, um, discouraging energy, or you can choose an energy that's full of zest and vitality and encouragement. So it goes back to what you started this podcast with, Brett. Everything is a choice. Amen, Rita Hudgens. It's so nice to have you on the show today with us. Nobody sweeter than Rita. Has anybody ever told you that? <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll tweet that, Brett. That's a great one. And you're welcome to become a guest on the show anytime you want. You know, I know you're crazy busy. So again, I want to say thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your time and sharing yourself, your thoughts, your inspiration. There's a story right there. If somebody needs a story of inspiration, you just heard it. That was that was choice. That was beautiful. So thank you again for your time. We'll look forward to having you back on another show in the future. In the meantime, God bless you. Be in touch. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out. You too. <laughs>